from all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I say no contract, you say no code. No contract, no If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host and fellow agitator is Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, activist judges rescind a constitutional right. Biden continues in action on inflation. We round out Pride Month with a chat with Jeremy Davis from Pride at Work. And Rick Scott reminds us that Republicans hate you. And more on today's Valley Labor Report. Uh, If you want to be part of the program... We've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can leave a voicemail anytime throughout the week and we might answer your question on the air. If you haven't gotten enough, uh, if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. Uh, we're anywhere you can find anything online: Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, newly on TikTok, wherever you get your podcasts. All at the Valley Labor Report. Uh, just a reminder: your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation, or buy our new hat, you can go to tvlr.fm or become a patron at patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. Uh, and if you're a member of a union, you should get your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to me for more details on that. Uh, before we get to our first segment, I want to make a special thanks to the people that make the show possible behind the scenes. Joe Harrison does our video, post-production, visuals, graphics, all of that good stuff. That is thanks to Joe Harrison. Our scrolling graphics on the YouTube is thanks to Solo Monk. You can find him on Twitter at SoloMonk256. Mike Bailey is a retired broadcast engineer who does our post-production audio. So if you're listening to us on a podcast and you're like, wow, the audio is a little bit cleaner, it's a little bit more level than it is on the YouTube, that's thanks to Mike. Uh, Ben Job helps us out here in Spice Radio, making sure, doing some quick technical fixes. Uh, anytime we have a technical error, Ben is right around the corner to help us out. Jeff Michaels is keeping us on the radio on WVNN in Huntsville. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we got we got a co- pretty cool group of folks helping us out and um, might be bringing on some more people into the project 
here in the next couple of weeks. So um, really, it's take, taking a lot off of me, taking a lot off of Adam, and uh, the product is a lot better for it, I think. So we really appreciate everybody chipping in. Um, so abortion rights or workers' rights, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and the decision to impose the religious views of a minority of the country by unelected and unaccountable people in our government is going is going to have this is not this is not an opinion this will have disastrous economic social and emotional tolls on working people across the country and particularly in states like Alabama where zealots in Montgomery have declared it the policy of the state at threat of gunpoint as so-called small government folks like to emphasize it's going to take a particular toll on people in in states like ours where religious zealots have made it the policy of the state that a child raped by her father ought to be forced, again, at threat of gunpoint by the state to carry a pregnancy to term. That is the official policy of the state of Alabama. A 12-year-old girl raped by her father at threat of gunpoint at the barrel of a gun has to go through nine months of pregnancy. That is the policy of the state of Alabama. That is the policy enacted by zealots and cowards. The zealots who are the true believers who think that who think that it is good that a child who is raped should have to carry a pregnancy to term. There are people that think that is good. There are also people who are cowards who I talked to when the law in 2017, I believe it was, was passed <clears throat> that made this the official policy of the state of Alabama. Representative Rex Reynolds, I believe it was. I spoke to him and said that this is not, uh, you know, registered my concern. And it was either him or... Or somebody else, it was a representative from Huntsville, a senator or representative from North Alabama area, that said that this is not the policy I would actually want to enact. This is to challenge Roe. Once Roe is overturned, we will implement exceptions. So, he, I mean... I guess we'll find out. I huh? guess we're going to find out. Um, but even the exceptions... These are not real. These are fabricated. Because let's just actually think about materially, practically, logistically, what does that mean? You're going to say a, a, a woman, a child, somebody who gets pregnant is going to come to a, a, a health care facility and they're going to say, I was raped. I want to terminate my pregnancy. How, how do you prove that? These cases take years criminally, so is there some lower form of, lower threshold of proof that you have to have to get a pregnancy? And then, who's going to do it? Who's going to perform an abortion? 
for people who were raped in Alabama. Because if the government, again, at the barrel of a gun, as as these small government weirdos like to remind us, at the barrel of a gun, what is the what is the punishment for people who perform abortions? You're looking at either the doctor believing the woman and terminating the pregnancy at the potential risk of the loss of their license, of jail time, of a fine. How many doctors are going to do that? Even at the even at the um, even at the risk of the life of the mother. Sam Cedar pointed out on the majority report that there is not a, a, a switch that flips, a light that turns on that says, okay, the life of the mother is now in danger. It is time to offer the option to terminate this pregnancy. It is a subjective opinion by the doctor. And so they're going to have to be weighing on the one hand... This person has a, a 10% chance of dying, a 20% chance, a 30% chance, 50% chance of dying if they go through with this pregnancy. And then on the other hand, they have to weigh, I could go to jail. If I do the medically correct thing and offer this person the option to terminate a pregnancy because their life is in danger. And at what point does the legislature say, even theoretically, that, okay, at 10% chance of dying, is that, is that acceptable to the, to, to the zealots in Montgomery? A 10% chance of dying and you can terminate the pregnancy. What about a 20% chance? And of course, again, this is all theoretical because doctors won't do it. Women will die. Women will be permanently disabled. They will be thrown into economic destitution because of this, because of the zealots in Montgomery. And this is, of course, not to say that that, that people in these most extreme circumstances are the only ones that deserve bodily autonomy. Of course not. Everyone deserves bodily autonomy. That's a fundamental right. But that is what... This reactionary activist Supreme Court is enabling. That is what the religious zealots in Montgomery actively want. They want a world. They voted for a world where children have to carry incest rape pregnancies to term. That is how far they're willing to go to enforce their Christian theocracy that they've got in their head on the rest of the population. It's sickening. And... Before you think about going across state lines to get an abortion, it is the policy of the state of Alabama that that is a crime, too. Christopher England, representative in Tuscaloosa, chair of the Alabama Democratic Party, pointed out on Twitter that abortions are now illegal in Alabama, and it doesn't stop there. Not only can anyone, even though even the woman seeking the abortion, be prosecuted, but also anyone can be prosecuted for conspiracy if they help someone either get or plan to get an abortion in another state. The Attorney General of the United States asserts that it is a bedrock constitutional principle to be able to do this, to be able to cross state lines and 
acquire an abortion in states where it is legal. But who knows with this reactionary activist judiciary? If freedom of association, if freedom of speech to be able to advise people, who knows if that if that right is going to be protected? The right to go to a state where religious zealots have not tried to impose the ideas they've got in their head on the rest of us. And that's assuming it's even possible from a practical standpoint, right. economically. Because think about the people in Mobile. How far are they going to have to travel to be able to get an abortion? How much money will they have to save up? How much time Illinois? would they have to take off work? Is um, Illinois Would Illinois be the closest state to somebody in southern Alabama that they could get an abortion? Something like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it's... This a 16-hour road trip? A flight? It's It's a form of class warfare. This is part of a broader class warfare upon working class people because, make no mistake, wealthy individuals will still be able to access abortions. Of course. The bosses and politicians, their wives and sisters and daughters and mistresses will still have access to abortion. It's working people and even to some extent middle class people who are going to have a difficult time accessing reproductive health care. So there again, we see the ways in which our economic system, which has so stratified folks, uh, plays out. It it affects every single right that we have and that we don't have. It's insane. Um, And and of course, unions have a role to play in this. Absolutely. Um, Media unions are leading the way in... The most obvious, the most obvious first response, collectively bargaining for abortion coverage in our union contracts. Now, again, I have no idea how the ter- the tyrants in Montgomery, I have no idea how the law that is going that, that, that they have put out there to make it a criminal conspiracy to help somebody get an abortion. I have no idea how that is going to play into that. I have no idea what the courts are what, what the, the tyrants in the court system are going to decide about the legality of that. But right now, anyway, media unions are collectively bargaining for abortion coverage in their union contracts. Angela Fu at Pointer reported reported that the three largest unions representing journalists, the News Guild, the Writers Guild of America East, and SAG-AFTRA have all released statements condemning the draft. This was back before the opinion was actually released. They released statements condemning a draft of a Supreme Court majority opinion And members and units within those unions are working to add provisions to their contracts that would ensure their health insurance covers abortion care. Uh, Unions do have to go beyond that, though, particularly for working people in states like ours in the Deep South who are governed by people who reckon the government ought to decide what we can do with our bodies, not the workers themselves. 
Connor Lewis relayed a portion of a conversation he had with Dr. Rebecca Given, a professor of labor and industrial relations at Rutgers University, where she suggested that unions ought to be using union release time to do abortion access work of providing transportation and child care, similar to how many unions use release time for elections. That's another thing that unions should be doing. But it is up to us, rank-and-file working folks, to do the work of building our unions into strong, militant forces willing to flex our muscles to defend these rights at the ballot box as well. We need a labor movement so strong that politicians quake at the thought of defying us and defying the bodily autonomy of our members. To make that a reality, we've got to organize. Um, to round it out, though, unless you, lest you think that this is, this is the end of the thing, lest you think that this is the one bad thing that the Supreme Court is going to do, and then it's going to, and, and now it's going to, we're going to, this is going to be the status quo. We're going to have all the other rights that we used to have. It's just, we can't get an abortion anymore. This is not the end. And even this, remember, the overturn of Roe v. Wade, this is a total betrayal of trust by these judges as, you know, as if anyone should have had faith in them to begin with, uh, because they, uh, they said under oath, they should be impeached for this, for lying under oath to Congress. They said under oath that they would not overturn Roe, that this was established precedent and they would respect established precedent. They would not overturn Roe. They should be impeached. It's almost like letting six to nine human beings with lifetime appointments and zero democratic accountability uh, control a country of over 300 million people. It's almost like that's a bad idea. Almost. Almost. They should be impeached. Um, I remember on talk radio when that was the crazy thing, when overturning Roe was the crazy thing. For people like me on the left saying that these reactionary tyrants are going to take away our bodily autonomy. I remember on talk radio being told they're not going to take away Roe. That's crazy. They wouldn't do that. Look, they said as much. They said as much. And why wouldn't we believe them? Why wouldn't we believe them? Well, the talking point after this has already shifted. No, no, the talking point shifted after the leaked memo, the leaked decision was put out. The talking point for a couple of weeks was, don't worry, it's just abortion, all your other rights are safe. That was a lie, and they knew it as well. In a concurrence to the opinion of the court, Clarence Thomas, alleged sex offender... Clarence Thomas said that we should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. Substantive due process is the grounds upon which the right to the constitutional right to abortion was was granted. And it was on that, on that same basis, substantive due process, that many other rights have been given to us, that have been recognized. Griswold 
recognized the right to contraception. Lawrence invalidated sodomy laws. Obergefell recognized the right to marriage equality. All of these have been explicitly, explicitly called out in a concurrence to the opinion of the court by Clarence Thomas. Well, and it's not just that. It's not just that because this very week, abortion rights weren't the only rights to be gutted by the Supreme Court. Uh, Just this week, we saw a ruling that the police can no longer be sued for ignoring your Miranda rights. Yeah. Um, As if we needed more reason to be skeptical of the cops. (laughs) um, States, uh, we we saw a case involving Maine and a school uh, funding lawsuit where now the state of Maine will be required to fund private religious schools, uh, which does not bode well for the future of public education and the threats by voucher programs and charter schools. Um, We also saw a ruling where states need not provide medical care that could exonerate prisoners. They did expand gun rights. Now, gun rights, yes, they're, they're willing to expand that, but on virtually every other aspect of your life, they are in the process of restricting rights and moving this country backwards. You know, we already have gilded age levels of inequality and economic system, you know, an economic system that very much resembles the gilded age. So it looks like these folks are determined to make sure our politics and our culture matches that. They want to bring us back to the 19th century. It's it's uh, and, and I guess it's next week when we can expect a decision involving the EPA because the Supreme Court is poised to completely gut the EPA's ability to fight climate change. And the entire administrative state, the entire ability of the government to function is based on the ability of Congress to delegate decision-making authority to the executive agency, to the executive branch. There is nothing in the Constitution saying that Congress can't do that. There's absolutely nothing, but these tyrants in the judiciary, activist judicial tyrants, have made up out of whole cloth, out of whole cloth, a doctrine to restrict the ability of Congress to delegate. It's insane. From the highest, let's face it, lawmaking body in the land. I know that people like to pretend that the Supreme Court is not a legislative body, but, uh, you know, I mean... Uh, that it's not political. I think that's silly. We have a direct attack on fundamental freedoms, the right to bodily autonomy, and the opening of the door to having state sex Gestapo inspections, and Democrats are wholly ill-equipped to handle the moment. Joe Biden is not calling for an expansion of the Supreme Court. Joe Biden is not calling to remove the filibuster. These are the only two options that are available to the governing party who, let's remember, hold the House, the Senate, and the presidency. These are the only two options that the governing party has to reassert women's right to bodily autonomy at a national level. There are other things that the executive branch can do to limit the damage 
Yes, absolutely. But those remain the only options that would return us to the status quo. And there are some things that the executive branch could do that would not return us to the status quo, but would limit the damage that he's not doing. They could set up abortion clinics on federal land inside red states. They could provide federal telehealth service for free abortion pills. They could be funding abortion clinics and travel vouchers in nearby states. None of that is waving a magic wand. It could be declared a national health emergency. As Kate Willett said on Twitter, none of that is waving a magic wand, and it is all within the authority of the executive branch, and they're not doing it. There's no indication the only thing that we have seen out of the executive branch is the Attorney General Merrick Garland saying, you have the right to travel. If you can find the time, if you can find the money, if you can find the people willing to take you, if, God forbid, if you're a child, God forbid if you're a child whose relative raped you, you can find a a, a family member who gives a damn about you to take you across state lines to get get you the health care that you need. If you can find somebody like that, Merrick Garland says you have a right to it. Wow! Wow! I think it goes back to your point earlier that we have to organize. We need a mass movement of everyday people. That's the only way we're going to be able to roll back these attacks on us. That's the only way we're going to be able to respond to the crisis after crisis after crisis that we're facing as a society is through mass democratic engagement. We can't rely on Merrick Garland and Joe Biden. I think the evidence is pretty clear there. We need mass movements the likes of which we haven't seen in this country since the 60s and since the 30s and since the Reconstruction era. It, it's insane. And, 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 and these people, Nancy Pelosi is sending out fundraising emails asking us for $15 so that we can win the midterms. Like, lady, you've got power right now. You've got power right now. And what are you going to do with the money? Give it to more anti-choice Democrats? Do not, do not give money to the DNC. Give it to the Yellow Hammer Fund. Give it to the Yellow Hammer Fund. Give it to Holler Health Justice in West Virginia. I will not be making any donations to the DNC or the DCCC this election cycle. I, I I never have, and I have no plans to ever in the future. And it is, I, I doubt I will be giving money to any, any Democrat politician. Give it to the Yellowhammer Fund. Give it to people who have been on the ground fighting for this, who have been actually providing the goods for people, and not the people who were in Texas last week campaigning for an anti-abortion Democrat. That's Nancy Pelosi. That's Joe Biden. That's Jim Clyburn. The leadership of the Democrats all endorsed Henry Cuellar, the last anti-abortion Democrat in the House against a pro-choice progressive challenger. Right. And and we just had a and report. And now they, now they want us to give us 15 give them $15? And on that same subject, we just had a report from Means Morning News this week on how uh, the DNC is actually giving money, in some cases spending money, on Republicans. 
they are trying this strategy, which, you know, <laughs> failed spectacularly with Trump, where they are trying to do the Pied Piper strategy of elevating the craziest Republicans they can find, thinking that that'll help them in the general election. So you don't even. So if you respond to Nancy's text and you give her fifteen dollars, for all you know, it it might actually help sponsor a Republican (laughs) advertisement in Colorado. There. So yes, find organizations like Yellowhammer Fund, like the Powerhouse, uh, that are doing real reproductive justice work on the ground that are going to be organizing to provide transportation for women uh, to provide access to health care you know yeah. that's that's where your money would be much better spent and, and these people if they want to earn our votes if they want to earn our money they should be calling on chuck schumer to get rid of the filibuster right they should be calling on Joe Biden to call on them to get rid of the filibuster. They should be calling on Joe Biden to support expanding the Supreme Court. These are all things that are within their power right now. And the the, 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 the response to, oh, you don't want him to, to abolish the filibuster because then the Republicans will, won't have it. And it's like, tell me, just just walk through what you're saying. Walk through what you're saying. You're telling me that... This radical, reactionary Republican Party, when they get power next, God forbid in 2024, they hold the House, the Senate, and the presidency. God forbid. God forbid. Heaven help us. Lord help us. God forbid that happens. You're telling me that President Trump, President DeSantis... House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, House uh, 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 Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell are going to stand up to anti-abortion activists and say, who think, who reckon that it's murder, who who, who reckon that that's murder, and they're going to stand up and say, no, the filibuster is more important than, than, than preserving life in California. Yeah. Give me a break. Give me a break. You live in a fantasy land. The second that they take power again, now that Roe is overturned, the second they take power again, and they hold all three of those bodies of power, the House, the Senate, and the presidency, we're going to have a national abortion ban nationwide. And if they have to, they'll get rid of the filibuster to do it. Yeah, I mean, clearly, look over the past 50 years, and the right-wing has shrunk in their popularity, but has grown in the actual power that they ha- hold and the power that they wield. They have they have gotten the goods for their people. The yeah. right wing has produced results, and they keep winning time after time after time, while Democrats have not. Five of these six people were appointed by presidents who lost the popular vote, by the way. It's worth mentioning. So don't give your money to Democrats is basically that's the thing. Uh, We're going to take a break. God. We're going to take a break really quick. But first, before we go, I wanted to to mention that Michael Bailey and his wife, not Michael Bailey. There's a different Michael Bailey in Huntsville, uh, not the guy who does our our, um, audio stuff. But Michael Bailey on Tuesday, the 28th of June... He and his wife are Madison, Alabama parents, and they're meeting online Tuesday evening with area parents to advocate for improving school indoor air quality. Um, The event 
You can find it on Facebook. It is called Keeping Kids in the Classroom by Improving Air Quality. You can find it on Facebook. We're going to drop the link in the chat on Facebook and YouTube. Um, So check that out if you're a Madison City school parent, Huntsville City school parent. Check that out. might be relevant. We're going to head to a break. On the other side, we're going to talk to Jeremy Davis, Executive Director of Pride at Work. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. We will be right back. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union 
has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call or text the show at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Pride at Work represents LGBTQ plus union members and their allies. They organize mutual support between the organized labor movement and the LGBTQ plus community to further social and economic justice. Jeremy Davis is the executive director of this organization, and he is our guest today. Jeremy, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jacob. So tell us a little bit about your background, uh, how you got involved in the labor movement. Well, you know, I um, was, uh, it was actually in 1999, um, I and two other guys who are gay were fired for being gay from our jobs. And um, it's an incredibly long story, but uh, the short version is that Pride at Work uh, and the labor movement were the only folks who would come to our assistance. So um, Pride at Work taught us how to have a a, a rally and a picket. They taught us how to speak to the media, how to have, uh, uh, how to write a press release, all of the things necessary to run a full campaign against um, the employer that ultimately ended up being, we were in Indiana and we became the first LGBTQ discrimination case in the state of Indiana settled for a monetary award. That state still today doesn't have LGBTQ protections in law. Has, uh, um, am I remembering right that LGBT protections have been uh, federalized by a Supreme Court case? That's true. Um, In uh, just uh, a year ago um, or two years ago, whatever it was, I've lost track with this pandemic. Um, the, the Supreme Court ruled that, um, that LGBTQ discrimination is sex discrimination under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So it is illegal federally. Um, but I think anybody who, who has been through the federal discrimination process and, and trying to navigate that, it's incredibly difficult um, and expensive. You know, you have to hire your own lawyer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And, you know, especially if you don't have, you know, the protections of a union contract, at least if you have a union contract, um, you have the protections of the union and the support of the union, uh, which, you know, obviously no state uh, or federal law provides that kind of support that a union does. Right, right. And we've talked about um, on this show multiple times the... um, you know, the, the, the paltry nature of, you know, federal discrimination law, the EEOC, uh, labor law, protecting our right to organize. You know, we have we have all of these things on paper and sometimes people can win ta- cases, but it takes years. It takes years oftentimes. And and what happens in the meantime? Maybe workers go homeless. They've been without a job for that long. They've had to get another job. And so um, the payment that they get for being fired for organizing is nothing because um, if you're organizing on the job and you get fired for it, that's technically illegal. But the remedy for that is to be made whole. And so if you've made wages between now and then, 
you don't get anything from it because you're already whole as, as far as the law is concerned. And and so the the best way to, even though theoretically we've got these these things as rights by the government, um, the best way to actually enforce them, the best way to actually protect them is, is through organization, unionization, uh, coming together with your your uh, fellow workers and making your boss uh, um, respect these rights that you have. Absolutely. You know, um, with often with federal law, um, the 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 real protection is the fear of the employer. And if that employer doesn't fear that lawsuit, um, you know, they could just walk right over federal law. Right. Right. And so what is the focus of it? Well, talk to us some about about pride at work. What uh, what is pride at work beyond, you know, how I opened it and, and what is kind of the focus of your organization? So we're a, an official LGBTQ constituency group for the AFL-CIO. Uh, and, you know, so we represent LGBTQ union members throughout the labor movement. Um, and, you know, we're we're fighting for LGBTQ inclusion within our unions, in our workplaces um, and in the public square. So, you know, we organize within the labor movement. Uh, for example, we have our convention coming up. Um, in a couple of months in Minneapolis in August, um, which is, you know, where we gather together uh, to kind of strategize and plot out what's going to happen over the next few years. Um, but we also, you know, a lot of our work is educating unions on what their LGBTQ members need. Um, a lot of unions are just now starting to wake up to the fact that they have LGBTQ members that they need to serve in slightly different ways, maybe than 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 um, other members. And so, you know, we get called out a lot to do what we call LGBTQ 101, um, which is the basics of, OK, so here's how you talk about LGBTQ people. Here's how you deal with certain situations like lack of bathroom access for trans people um, or discrimination, or, you know, we also work on contract language. Uh, We have a repository of contract language that um, has actually passed in contracts that we can pull from. And we can also help with crafting contract language uh, that's LGBTQ inclusive, uh, you know, if we don't have something to model from already. That's just a little bit of what we do. You know, we also... well, and that Go is ahead. all. I just want to. I just want to call out for folks. We we have you know lots of lots of union folks uh, that listen to the program, and so maybe they're interested in some of this stuff. You can go directly to their website, prideatwork.org, prideatwork.org, and if you're if you hover your mouse over the resources tab at the top of the page, you've got those things right there: model contract language, LGBTQ plus one hundred one, uh, the union difference stuff that is that that is really on a super practical level helpful for. Or union leaders that want to support their members, but are maybe not educated on you know on, on these topics. They've not had to. Maybe they haven't been aware of representing uh, you know LGBT folks in the past, and they want to make sure that their union is doing a good job, making sure that these people are not being harassed by their by their sisters and brothers on the job, being harassed by their bosses, um, and fostering that solidarity among coworkers and protection from the boss. Um, Really, really cool stuff here. 
Thanks. Yeah, we uh, we try to keep that information updated and fresh, you know, as the laws change, as Supreme Court rulings come down, whatever the case, um, and as the language changes uh, and new concepts come to the fore, you know, so, um, you know, always check the website. Um, but then, you know, if there's something there that, that you need that, or that's not there that you need, you can certainly contact us. Uh, we can do trainings. We can talk about what your needs are uh, and help you figure it out. And so what kind of what kind of stuff do y'all go over in the trainings? We go over things like language, um, you know, how to talk about LGBTQ people and issues. We go over uh, things like pronouns uh, and, and how how that kind of sort of ever shifting um, uh, uh, space uh, should work and, and, and what, what it means to respect someone's pronouns. Uh, we go over the kind of economic impacts of, uh, LGBTQ discrimination and what that, how that plays out in the community and what it looks like. You know, one, one example is, uh, during the pandemic, um, one of the things that we learned was if you were an LGBTQ person, you're 36% more likely to have lost your job or had your income reduced than the average population. Um, that's just very clearly discrimination. There's no reason for LGBTQ people to have suddenly been, you know, more impacted by the pandemic than other people. Um, but what it seems like happened is when companies started making cuts, you know, they cutted the less desirable folks first. Right, right. And what about model contract language? What is some of the stuff that y'all are um, particularly proud of having been able to put in contracts? You know, um, we're, we're really proud, you know, first of all, that so many unions and we've kind of lost track of how many because, you know, it depends on every contract is different, but um, how many contracts now contain just the basic protections for sexual orientation and gender identity and expression. Um, but one of the coolest, and then of course, we've gotten more language about uh, transgender healthcare. That's been an important issue. But one of the things that, that we've seen um, in some contracts is, you know, a lot of, um, LGBTQ, well, a lot of uh, uh, health insurance plans don't cover everything necessary for a transgender person's uh, full health care needs. There may be some things uh, that the insurance policy considers cosmetic, or there may be some things um, that just aren't covered. And so um, I've seen and helped with contract language that provides for like a fund that uh, that members can draw from for things that aren't covered by the traditional plan. Uh, one of the other things that we did recently was um, a major employer, uh, U.S. Steel. Um, we helped the steel workers uh, combat U.S. Steel. They had a healthcare plan that did not cover. I think it was twenty four procedures um, for. Uh, transgender workers that they considered cosmetic. And we were able to help the steelworkers successfully argue with the company that those procedures should be covered. And now they are. That's great. That's I mean, that, this is, you know, this is real kind of a, a lot of times that, uh, you know, and 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 maybe even I, I should do a better job. But there, there are a lot of times that, that people um, kind of whiff away culture war stuff as meaningless and a distraction but in 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 many instances 
culture war type stuff is a real material impact to the people that it's targeted against. You know, so a uh, culture war issues, quote unquote, you know, abortion, gay rights, trans rights. These are things that are uh, that are aren't going to necessarily directly affect me. They affect me in that I care about, you know, my coworkers and and, people. people that are in the working class but but as far as you know i could go about and ignore it and and my life would more or less be the same uh but for those people uh you know being fired is a real material being fired for being gay or trans is a real material impact and so fighting for for gay rights fighting for trans rights uh that is a real material thing it's not a material thing for the people that are fighting against these folks that are trying to demonize these people but for the people that are on the receiving end of these attacks, in a lot of instances, it is real and it is material um, in a in a very in a very economic and 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 social sense of the word um, th- that I think it's important to recognize. Yeah, and y'all are doing the kind of work that provides the material response and benefits by by ensuring that people can have the health care that they need by protecting people from being fired in a discriminatory way. That's that's huge. And so, you know, I think what you're doing is just so important. And it's it's critical that unions continue to have dialogue on these issues and not just kind of brush it aside as not really our thing, because I think unions sometimes we get in our, you know, quote unquote, bread and butter issues. And we want to talk uh-huh. about pay raises and we want to talk about pensions. And those are super important. Uh, but we also have to reflect on is everybody getting the pay raise? Is everyone getting the pension and the health care that they deserve? So, you know, that's just it's just very, very important what y'all are doing. And, and I think that's fantastic that y'all are putting out even sample language that other full uni- contracts, full even. contract. Yeah, that's, you know, unions who are maybe coming from a place of inexperience have a resource like private work to get plugged into. Absolutely. And, you know, you're you're so right about the the economic impact that, that this can have. You know, if a if, you know, there the number of transgender people, for example, in the labor movement or in, in the country in general is relatively small. But the impact of not covering all of their healthcare needs is absolutely huge. Some of those procedures can be expensive. Some things are lifelong, like hormone therapy or um, you know any kind of mental health uh, uh, help. And um, if you have to pay those things out of pocket, they can be prohibitively expensive. Um, whereas you know it's 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 a rounding error in the total cost of the 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 healthcare budget. Um, it doesn't really have an impact on, you know, study after study has shown that that covering transgender health care does not have a material impact on the cost for the overall plan. Um, you know, it's expensive to cover pregnancy. It's expensive to cover cancer. It's expensive to cover a lot of things, but we cover those and we should cover transgender health care as well. Uh, another thing that y'all have through Pride at Work is is local chapters. Uh, talk to us mm-hmm. about some of the work that that your local chapters do, and and maybe um, how to get involved in in your local chapter or create one if there isn't a local chapter. Absolutely, yeah, we have. Um, well, our chapters are growing, and the number is ever changing. I know we have over twenty now. 
um, and some new ones that are starting up. So I don't have an exact count, but we, we will keep that information updated on the website, which is exactly how you can get involved. Some of the things that they're doing, you know, um, in uh, Washington State, uh, you know, we have a chapter in uh, the Tacoma area that uh, started there, the Tacoma area uh, Pride Festival. They didn't have one until our chapter got it started. Um, you know, they're working on things, uh, you know, locally with with local issues. Um, the uh, in in New York, for example, um, we have a an initiative called the Pride at Work Initiative, which is where I'm at today. Actually, is in New York City. Um, that uh, is working on trying to get LGBTQ people into union jobs through workforce programs. So, for example, um, the uh, SEIU affiliate here has a workforce program that they uh, help operate. Um, and we are working with them and several other union adjacent um, and LGBTQ adjacent workforce programs to make sure that they both know how to um, recruit and maintain LGBTQ workers um, and make sure that they make it through the program. Because one of the things that, that we found is like, especially with something like an apprenticeship program, um, if you're an LGBTQ person, you're significantly more likely not to complete the program through, you know, sometimes those programs can be three years or more. Um, and a lot of that is just poor treatment or in a lack of understanding in the program of the needs of the LGBTQ folks, um, harassment, things like that. So, um, you know, we, we do a variety of work and our chapters have um, a lot of autonomy to figure out what to work on locally. Um, and, you know, we encourage that to start a new chapter. You know, if there isn't one in your area, it's, it's pretty easy. You know, we can walk you through that process. You just reach out to us at, um, prideatwork.org. Um, all of our contact information is there. And, you know, it, 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 to start a basic chapter requires only five members and um, the representation of at least one union in, in amongst those five members. Um, and you can grow from there. So uh, it's super easy and it can have a huge impact on the labor movement in your area. Jeremy Davis, Executive Director of Pride at Work. You can learn more at prideatwork.org. Org. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to share with us before we let you go? I uh, also want to give a call out to our convention. As I mentioned, it's in Minneapolis in August, uh, August 18th through 20th. You can learn more at outfordemocracy.com or on our website at prideatwork.org. Um, we'd love to have some folks from the South join us. Uh, you know, one of the things that we kind of lack right now is more representation in the South. And we'd love to um, see more labor uh, members from the South at our convention. And we'd love to see that as well. Keep up the good work. Jeremy, I appreciate right, it. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a break really quick. Um don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. And if you want to call, you can uh, give us a call at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. We'll be right back. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. 
To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. 
Virginia's only Union Talk Radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, and my co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. You can text us there as well, or hop in the chat. You can get in the chat in Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for all the people who participate in the chat. Uh, I always learn a lot. I always appreciate the feedback. Yeah, let's jump in there there and see what people are saying in uh, in the YouTube chat. John D. Rocky is uh, saying, hope everybody's doing well. My guy is fired up. That's me. I'm his guy. Uh, Mr. Anderson (laughs) says uh, that he is still supporting the Greens, uh, but I agree. If you can spare money, you should give it to organizations that will actually help people. Hard agree. Um, Yeah, definitely. Uh, Raul Duke said, hard to take the high emotion seriously when everyone will just be yelling about something else in three months or less. And uh, there are lots of things to be yelling about, Raul. And Uh, probably three months from now, they'll be screwing us in new and different ways. So uh, you are correct that we will be yelling in three months, and we should be yelling at three months, and we should be yelling today, and we should be yelling three months earlier because the world is on fire, and everything is not fine. <laughs> we should, we got we got to do something about it. Um, John D. Rocky said maybe a little offense from the Democrats could be a nice change of face of pace. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That would be a nice change of pace instead of singing "God Bless America" on the steps of the Supreme Court. Did you see that, Adam? Uh, no, but I'm really House, glad I didn't. House Democrats saying, God bless America, as you can hear protesters in the background on the steps of the Supreme Court. And, Na- <laughs> <laughs> and Nancy Pelosi read a poem. Well, that'll do the trick. That'll do the trick. Uh, John D. Rocky said, it's true in response to me saying that they're going to do a federal abortion ban. Mike Pence is already saying that that is their next goal. Um, I haven't I haven't seen that, but I don't doubt it because that's always been their goal. Obviously, Rai Rai in the chat said, "Abortion is a fundamental human right. Anyone against it is a backwards cultist who is objectively an enemy of all freedom loving and liberty loving people." And of course, of course, if you are not in favor of bodily autonomy for people, you are an enemy of freedom and liberty. Uh, he said there's a Teamster strike in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Um, it's not the South, but uh, he said it was rowdy and a good strike here. I don't know. Rai Rai, that's, that's a pretty ambiguous gendered name. I'm not sure. But it, they said that it's uh, um, pretty rowdy, a good strike. Nice to see some energy. Uh, that is good. That's definitely some good news. We love to hear that. Teamsters love to bring the energy we to the do, picket line. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Teamsters are great. Um John D. Rocky replied to that. Sounds like awesome and super important work. Uh, and we've got to fight to protect each other. Um, so, yeah, definitely. We got some love from Jared and Labor Kyle. Labor Kyle, you've got to check out his YouTube channel. It's really good. He does, His production value significantly higher than ours um, and very good. He does, like, video essays and stuff. Got some love. Labor Kyle, if you're still listening, we'd love to have you back on the show. We do. I, really I can't believe that. Yeah, I can't believe that we haven't had him back on the show since since the stream, but been too long it's been too long um thanks for having on pride at work and uh we were glad to do it i think it's important um yeah i think it's great that such an organization exists and mm -hmm. i think if you are a union activist here in alabama 
and you're trying to figure out how to get started dealing mm-hmm. with LGBTQ issues in the workplace yeah. and inside your own unions, there you go. There's yeah, and especially if you are an LGBT union member, uh, get in touch with them um, and and start working on that because it is um, – you know, it would be great to have one of these organizations headed by the group that they're supposed to represent. Um, and that's all I'll say on that. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, absolutely. Well, and we, need to, we need to make sure that the South is uh, represented in these mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, organizations uh, because, well, we're subject to the most reactionary laws in this country yep. here in the South. And so if anyone needs to be at the table – yeah, definitely. It's definitely folks, the South. LGBT folks in the South. John D. Rocky, Rocky said in response to the Ironworker um, uh, iron ad, let's go. Are you in the Ironworkers, John? Uh, that would be cool if you are. Let us know. Uh, and he said, Labor Kyle is better. Bye bye. <laughs> wait, wait, till, wait. Wait till wait, after wait, we're till, done. Wait till after then the show. Subscribe yeah, yeah, yeah. Then subscribe to Labor Kyle. Then subscribe to Labor Kyle and check Go it out. watch it. Um, Dave is headed to D.C. to raise hell. Um, very good, very good. Yeah, definitely wishing safe travels to our brother David and uh, his yep. family who's going with him. And please uh, hold, hold the line for us up there. Yep. Good morning, Martha and Mel Sutton down in West Alabama. We appreciate you listening. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the chat. We need to have like a, like, a, like a sound effect for the chat, like somebody typing in. Like like something like that. I don't know if you could hear that in the mic, but we, we got to do that. We got we to gotta get something like that done up um so uh we talked earlier in the show about you know attacks on working people and that's not the only attack on working people inflation uh is also an attack on working people obviously uh and biden is not doing anything to ease the impacts of inflation that it's having on working people and in fact he seems dead set on listening to people who want to make it worse insane to start off he amazingly is he said he is consulting larry summers of all people on economic advice for people who don't know who larry summers is larry summers served on the national economic council under reagan he was treasury secretary under clinton he went on he went to epstein's island at least four times he served as director of the National Economic Council under Obama, is in large part responsible for the lackluster response to the Great Recession, holding back government benefits for people, and shooting government benefits out of a cannon to big corporations. He is recently quoted as saying that we would need five years at 5% unemployment to bring inflation down, which is insane it is insane because we are currently at an un- at an unemployment rate of two or three percent something like that that is he is calling for millions more people to be out of work and that is not accounting for the fact that millions more people have dropped out of the labor force at what point do they just start saying hey in order we to kill demand people. we should just kill people we should just we should just kill people uh, i i mean it seems like they're they're verging pretty close to that this is falling in line with the fed's strategy the federal reserves their strategy to cut inflation um as well which is to raise interest rates to bluntly cut demand don't take it from me though 
that this is going to be disastrous for working people, that it is not going to help working people. Let's take a listen to Trump and Biden appointed. (laughs) Jerome Powell was appointed by Trump and reappointed by Biden. Insane. These people, they're insane. Let's take a listen to what he said at a Senate hearing last week with clips collected courtesy of our friends over at Means Morning News. You should subscribe to them at means.tv. Let's play that clip, Adam. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell appeared before the Senate Banking Committee on Wednesday, where he admitted that the Fed's rate hikes will probably cause a recession. Do you agree with the perspective, and then I'll be done, but do you agree with the perspective that if interest rates go too high too fast that it could drive us into a recession? It's certainly a possibility. Dang. Well, I guess that's just the price we have to pay to bring down the costs of energy and food, two of the industries where inflation is most felt by the working class, right? Actually, no. Here's Powell admitting that rate hikes won't have an effect there. Chair Powell, will gas prices go down as a result of your interest rate increase? I would not think so, no. Okay. No matter how much groceries cost, people still got to eat. Chair Powell, will the Fed's interest rate increases bring food prices down for families? No, I, I wouldn't say so, no. Okay. Well, that would make sense since a study by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco found that about half of all price increases right now are a result of supply chain issues related to the war in Ukraine and pandemic. And Fed rates won't do anything about those. Powell has repeatedly stated that the point of rate increases is to reduce upward pressure on wages, in other words, to lower wages. Here was Senator Tina Smith questioning that central premise. So um, let me ask you this, Chair Powell, with, with all of that in mind, what is the basis for the argument that wages are too high and that they need to come down in order to rein in inflation? So it, it isn't that, that wages themselves are too high. It's that the rate of growth of wages is not consistent, it, it, and I'll, I'll explain this, not consistent with 2% inflation over time. So, every, of course, it's great when wages go up, and we want them to go up. We want people to get you know, strong wage increases. But at a certain point, uh, wages become high enough that, that, that companies start raising prices and, and you, wind up getting, uh, you wind up getting high inflation. Hmm, that sounds like a profit-seeking problem and not a workers' wages problem, especially at a time when CEOs are bragging on investor calls about raising prices well above cost increases, such as the cost of labor. Just like the flawed gas tax premise that capitalists will pass their savings on to consumers, the Fed's plan assumes companies will lower prices when labor costs go down instead of just pocketing the extra profits. Although when pressed on this, Powell admitted that companies don't actually have to lower prices for the Fed to declare mission accomplished. And what would you expect if wages started to stabilize, as you say, they stop increases? How long would you expect it to be before the prices that consumers are paying would start to go down? Are they ever going to go down? It it depends in... um Prices don't, they don't have to go down for inflation to go down. So right. if prices remain at the same level and infl- inflation goes to zero. The problem is, though, workers are going to be making less money to pay for those still elevated prices. You know, I got to hand it to Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. He is 100% committed to this bit, the bit being deliberately trying to crash the economy and screw over workers. Crazy. 
Crazy. Just a reminder, wage increases have been, on average, something like 4 and 5%, while inflation is at 8%. And he's talking about we need to kill wages. We need to kill wage increases. This is... Oh, also, another unelected person, Yeah. by the way. Love it. Love it. I thought that only happened at the Politburo in China, or perhaps the uh, council in Iran of mullahs. Sam Cedar over at the Majority Report had a great interview on Thursday about inflation's causes with an economist. It was really illuminating and a lot more in-depth that we'll be able to go into here and a lot more grounded in reality than what you're going to hear on Corporate Talk Radio. Um, And here again, while forces are actively attacking working people at the Federal Reserve, Biden is silent. This is another issue where even if you like don't genuinely care, even if you do not care about inflation and its effect on working people, if you do not care about interest rates, rate hikes and the fact that this is going to potentially cause a recession, throw millions of people into unemployment, even if you don't care, it is political suicide not to act like you care. Trump did. Let's pull this up. If you'll remember, the Fed, Jerome Powell, tried to do the same thing under the Trump administration because the economy was doing reasonably well as far as our metrics, the metrics that we have, which are crazy, which are bizarre. But as far as the metrics that we have go, the economy was doing well before the pandemic. And so Jerome Powell was trying to cool it off by raising rates. And every time Trump did uh, he did that, Trump went on the attack. And he was able to actually not only get Jerome Powell not to raise rates, but to cut rates. And Biden is just just letting it happen. Let's read from this article in Politico. Trump, uh, uh, Trump said, quote, We have people on the Fed that really weren't, they're not my people, But they certainly didn't listen to me because they made a big mistake. They raised interest rates far too fast, unquote, Trump said. Despite having appointed four of the five current members of the board, he has vowed to only install new members of the board who support rate cuts. But his last two picks withdrew from consideration after backlash from Congress. I mean, why is Biden out not attacking Jerome Powell? It's crazy not to. It's like it's political suicide. Even if you actually support what Jerome Powell is, at least act like you give a damn that Jerome Powell is looking at throwing millions of people into unemployment. It It's unexplainable. It, it's just totally like they do not care about winning. Well, winning elections by actually helping people, not their strong suit. Not their strong suit. Not their strong suit. Um, Let's hit this before we go off the radio, though. Uh, Last week was a big week for conventions. Uh, We had the AFL-CIO, AFGE, Labor Notes, and the UMWA. Um, And that's the one that we're going to talk about. At the UMWA convention, the International Union passed a resolution pledging full support for the union to be victorious in its struggle against Warrior Met. Of course, uh, after 15 months, 
More than $20 million spent by the union to support the strikers and more than $2.5 million donated to the strike fund by supporters, other unions, and their allies. This is a big boon to the strikers to know that their union is still behind them and has every intention of staying behind them to the end. And this extends beyond financial support as well, because last week, while Warrior Met was at a Virginia job fair trying to recruit scabs to come in Alabama, the UMWA members in Virginia picketed the job fair to let people know what was going on. According to Hayden Wright, auxiliary president here in Alabama, most all folks left after learning what was going on. That's very good news. Um, You should not be scabbing. Scabbing is bad. Um, it's still, of course, obviously not going to be easy, though. And and despite what we told y'all a while back, with BlackRock calling on Warrior Met to end the strike because they have missed out on a billion dollars in potential revenue, Warrior Met is still obstinate. And let's remember that... What does it mean that they lost a billion dollars in potential revenue? That doesn't mean that They're like a billion dollars in the red. They are actually, because the price of steel has skyrocketed, even though Warrior Met is only operating at 20 to 30% capacity because they can't get enough people to cross the picket line to run at 100% capacity, even though they're only running at 20 to 30% capacity, they are getting profits... There are, they are getting enough revenue to cover their expenses and, and make a little bit of profit. But if they had just negotiated a fair contract with the UMWA, with these Alabama workers, a year ago, they could have had a billion dollars more. But that billion dollars more, while appealing to BlackRock to people who are more, you know, more uh, uh, purely interested in profits. Um, Warrior Met is ideologically opposed to their workers having good things. I mean, I, I said this the last time I think I talked about Warrior Met. I, one thing that I will say about the religious right is that and, and and one thing that they get right about the secular left is that I do not think the secular left makes enough use of moral language in that calling out evil, in saying when things are wicked and evil, like actually, you know, ontologically evil. I think that this company, Warrior Met, is is wicked. And that's something that I don't think that the left maybe does enough. They don't use that kind of moral language as much as the right. Maybe we should start using it. Um, Hayden Wright tweeted out, but but to, to, to illustrate this, Hayden, White, Hayden Wright tweeted out last week a screen cap from the UMWA's NLRB filing against Warrior Met Cole that really showed, in my view, the depravity the depravity of the enemy here. A quote from Warrior Met's negotiator. Quote, I want to make it perfectly clear that the company has never said or intended to say or imply 
that there was an inability to pay for any of this stuff. Wow. Pretty clear. Pretty clear. Um, I wanted to jump in here to also mention AL.com just had an article come out this week that the Black Warrior Riverkeeper Environmental Group has filed a notice of intent to sue Warrior Met Coal because of their pollution. Uh, and this is we've seen this happen since the strike uh, started as they have brought in scabs to perform some of the labor, uh, you know, where it's not been idled. Uh, but we've seen the environmental impact grow much worse during this strike. Makes sense. You have people from out of state who don't live there in that community. They're not necessarily going to be impacted by that pollution. Uh, you have people who are less trained, who don't have uh, the skill set necessary to do the job in the way that these miners uh, have been doing the job for so long. So not surprising to see this kind of environmental damage. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there that on top of really despicable treatment of workers and their willingness to try to starve out the UMWA, they're also polluting the creeks that feed into the Black Warrior River down in Tuscaloosa County. I mean, this is where people go swimming. This is where people go fishing. And, um, you know, so good on Black Warrior Riverkeeper for for taking legal yeah, we action. Should, we should have them on the show to talk Absolutely. about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, that's a lot of damage is being done right. to Alabama communities by Warrior Matt Cole. And, and yeah. I agree with you, Jacob. It, evil is a good word for it. Um, all this to say, it's never a bad time to donate to the strike fund. Um, you can go to umwa.org slash umwa 2021 strike fund. All lowercase, all one word. UMWA.org slash UMWA 2021 strike fund. Or PayPal.com slash PayPal me slash UMWA strike pantry. Go to either of those, donate. It'll go directly to support the striking miners down there in uh, Brookwood. Um, and the, the last thing, and we can do this really quick um, because it's pretty funny and there's not a whole lot to say about it. Uh, just just a reminder uh, that Republicans hate you. Rick Scott hates you. They want bad things for you. That's uh, So y'all remember a few weeks ago uh, or months, I don't know, when we talked about Rick Scott's tax plan? Which is, let's remember, literally to increase taxes on the poorest Americans and decrease it for those at the top and to phase out Medicare and Social Security. That's his tax plan. He wants to phase out Medicare. He wants to phase out Social Security. He wants to increase taxes on the poor. He wants to decrease taxes on the rich. That is the Rick Scott Republican tax plan. They want bad things for you people. They want bad things for us, folks. Uh, well, he's back at it, and here he is kind of explaining the reason why it's necessary to take more money from poor people. Let's listen to that. We Americans are the most spoiled people on earth. There you go. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, so, yeah, God. Americans, apparently, 
Even though our uh, life expectancy is actually declining across multiple demographics, even though we're the only country on planet Earth, the only advanced economy to not guarantee health care as a human right, we're the wealthiest country on Earth, and yet millions of our people are struggling to put food on the table. But yeah, we're spoiled. That's got to be what it is. Wild. They they took a they take a look at the world we're living in and see how bad it is and say, hey, what if we made it worse? Yeah. That's wild. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I, like they hate you and they want worse things for you. That's <laughs> Republicans for for office. It, if it's okay here in these last couple of minutes, I just want to take a point of personal privilege, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, well, and I do want to plug a couple of events uh, before I get to that. Uh, there is a uh, reproductive rights rally today at 5 p.m. at Lynn Park in Birmingham. Uh, tomorrow, there's going to be protests around the state, uh, including right here in Huntsville at 10 o'clock at the Madison County Courthouse. So that's tomorrow, Sunday, June 26th. Uh, we mentioned this earlier, but wanted to plug it again. Uh, we got a note from Michael Bailey here in Madison, Alabama, about an online event, Keeping Kids in the Classroom by Improving Air Quality. Uh, you can find the event online uh, on Facebook. It's Tuesday, June 28th at 6.30 p.m. It looks really interesting, uh, especially those of you who are parents of public school children or perhaps work in public schools. looks really good. Um, and I know we plan to talk about it a little bit more later, but worth mentioning now that Jacob and I had the honor and the pleasure to attend the Labor Notes Conference in Chicago, and it was fantastic. And it really, you know, despite the really depressing news that we're getting day after day after day as we just keep taking hits uh, from our government, from our bosses, one thing I can say is that there is a revival of labor in this country that's happening and it's being led by young people and diverse, really a diverse crowd of folks who are rank and file and who are pushing for a better world. People who believe a better world is possible and are willing to fight for it. And that certainly made me feel a little bit better uh, about the odds we're facing. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I did a uh, recorded a bonus episode of the Working People podcast yesterday or the day before uh, with Maximilian Alvarez, McKenna Schuler, and Tavita Utafa about labor notes. That should be coming out in the next day or two. Um, Definitely stay tuned for that. It yeah. should be great. Stay tuned for that. Much more uh, jovial than feels appropriate after <laughs> the Supreme Court decision, but it hadn't come out yet, so you'll have to forgive us for that. <laughs> you can leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can buy a hat or give us money on the website, tvlr.fm. And you can find us online where we are going to talk about the rail strike in the U.K. We're going to talk some more, I think, about labor notes if we've got time. We're going to talk to Josh Moon from the Alabama Political Reporter about Alabama politics. 
Um, and you can do that. You can find us online on Facebook and YouTube, all at The Valley Labor Report. And we're just going to keep on going. We continue the program for about an hour and a half after the show is over on the radio. Uh, so find us there. Next week, we've got some cool stuff lined up. We're going to be talking to Stephen Greenhouse in overtime. And I think we're going to be talking to Josh Brewer and a nursing home worker from RWDSU about the work that they're doing in Fantastic. nursing homes. Um, so not sure what else we're going to be doing next week, but but I think that's, that's what we're looking at having on the docket. So it's going to be a good show next week. Uh, stay tuned. Find us online right now. Continue watching the show. And... Um, Follow us, keep up with us throughout the week. All power to the workers. Solidarity, y'all. You'll find overtime in your podcast feed on Thursday.